Hello and welcome to episode number 143 of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm your host, Chris Tripodi, and with me, as always, is Tony Pauline, and we're back with another look ahead to the 2020 college football season and the 2021 NFL Draft. This week, we'll be breaking down the prospects to watch from the back half of the Big Ten. If you missed our prior episode, we did the first seven teams alphabetically in that episode, so go back and listen to that for any teams that start with an I or an M, but we'll be covering the rest of them on today's podcast. Tony, what's going on? Not much. Weather's getting hot here in New York as it should be during the summertime. Looks like we're going to have uh, baseball this season, although a bit of an abbreviated season, which is nice to see. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens as we move through the summer. Yeah. I mean, you know, certainly the hope, obviously baseball's come to an agreement. NBA has an agreement and, you know, the hope that is once these sports start up, hopefully they don't get interrupted and then something else happens and then they don't get to finish because, you know, especially if you're talking about like a 60 game baseball season, it's kind of like, well, are you going to play 30 games? And then all of a sudden it gets canceled. And if that were to be the case, obviously that does not bode well for football, both NFL and college. I don't think it's going to get canceled. I think what they have to do is they may have to expand rosters and they may have to loosen the rules on roster exemptions in case you get a situation where, you know, three or four or four or five guys test positive and you've you got to quarantine them for two weeks. I, I mean, it's still, you know, we, we've heard about all these athletes testing positive. We haven't heard of any, any of these athletes struggling or, you know, suffering significant symptoms from testing positive. So I think the key is going to be, obviously, you, you want to try and uh, reduce the spread as best you can. But I think in order to keep the season going, you may have to expand the rosters a bit and you may have to loosen the rules as far as giving teams roster exemptions in case guys, uh, you get multiple guys who test positive. Yeah, flexibility is certainly going to be key in, in keeping everything up and running. And, and hopefully, uh, you know, all the sports leagues are able to do that, you know, particularly for us here, uh, the football leagues, NCAA and the NFL. Uh, but we'll move on here to take a look at the season and the draft. As mentioned last week, the Big Ten had 48 players selected in April, and just under half of those picks, 23 of them, are coming from programs that we'll discuss on this show. Actually, 15 of those 23 players were from just Ohio State and Penn State, which tells you a lot about the teams we're going to be running down on this show. We'll obviously spend more time on this week on those two teams. Really here, though, only underclassmen at the top of the boards. No seniors likely had with, with Quiddy Pay last week for Michigan at least for the teams from Nebraska through Wisconsin here in the Big Ten. You know, no surprise. Once again, Ohio State has the best prospects in the draft and the prospects that are really going to drive what I, the early uh, selections and the early picks in the 2021 draft, assuming that they enter the event, which I think they're going to do. Now, our first program we'll discuss on this week's show is Nebraska. And the Cornhuskers went without a draft pick in 2019. That was the first time it happened in almost 60 years for them since 1962. They did bounce back in April, though, with the Davis twins, Khalil, and friend of the show, Carlos Davis, going late on day three. Over the last decade, they've had 27 total selections, but 11 of those were 2011 and 2012. So it's kind of been rough times as late for a really storied program, but things are looking up on the field even if they're not looking up that much in the draft, there are four more potential late round picks for Nebraska, three of them coming along the offensive line, senior offensive tackles, Brandon James and Matt Farniok, along with redshirt sophomore center, Cameron Jurgens, who's more of a 2021, maybe even a 2022 type of prospect just based on his age and, and draft standing right now. But James and Farniok are 
really both right tackle prospects, even though James covers left tackle for the Huskers. Neither really has that ability to slide out to the edge that's necessary to protect the blind side that NFL teams are really looking for in a left tackle. James, though, is a solid athlete. Farniuk might be the better football player, just not as big or as athletic as James and may end up as a better fit at guard, all of which normally means much lower draft stock. But, Tony, I know you disagree on Farniuk. Yeah, I like Farniak a lot. Uh, in fact, uh, scouts have a big spread between Jamius and Farniak. I don't. I, I mean, there's basically a uh, barely a half-round spread at this point in time. I got Jamison, Jamius as a fifth-round pick and Farniak as an early six-round selection. Farniak's definitely the better football player. He's more explosive. He seems smarter. James is, is the bigger guy, although he's not that much bigger. And like you said, he's a left tackle, a college left tackle, who projects to right tackle on the next level. Farniak has the ability to play tackle or guard. Uh, I like his versatility. I like the fact he's been a good player for a number of years at Nebraska. He may get drafted a little bit lower, but I think he's going to be a, a better pro. Jurgens, like you said, he's, he's probably a guy we're looking at for 2021, if not 2022. He's explosive. He's nimble. He's very good blocking in motion. He's got to get a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. And keep an eye on their defensive back, DiCaprio Boodle, a guy who can play corner, a guy who can play safety. I have him graded as a six-round choice. I know most of the scouts I've spoken with think he's more the free agent type. I disagree. He's fast, he's athletic, and he's got tremendous ball skills. The only problem is he's a little short. He's probably not going to measure five foot ten inches, uh, which is going to be a problem for some teams. But I think Boodle is going to be a terrific dime potential nickelback at the next level who can also play special teams. Now moving on here to Northwestern, first time in the last six drafts that the Wildcats did not have a player selected after they had eight the prior five years and 10 total since 2011. No more than two in any one draft, though, and, and no top 100 picks since 2005 either. But that being said, the Wildcats could change all of that next April with three draftable prospects, including one who gets high grades from scouts, and that is senior left tackle Rashawn Slater, Many scouts have him as a top 45 pick. He's an excellent all-around lineman with good technique and movement skills. Junior cornerback Greg Newsom is another potential second-day selection if he were to declare for the draft. Good size and length. Made a lot of plays on the ball during the 2019 season. But last year at this time, we actually discussed a pair of linebackers from Northwestern. Patty Fisher and Blake Gallagher both took steps back in their tackle statistics, which we know really aren't that indicative of NFL potential when you're looking at college teams. Both of these guys, though, in terms of scouting grades, have fallen a bit the past 12 months as well. Gallagher more so than Fisher. He actually might have trouble getting drafted. But Fisher, nice size, a solid player. Just in the end, not someone who stands out in any one area of the field. Yeah, he's a smart, instinctive guy who just plays tough, disciplined football. He's not a true playmaker, but he's constantly making positive plays, if that makes sense to you. He doesn't have that great impact play, but he's not asked to. Now, I have him graded as a fifth rounder presently. I've uh, Scouts I've spoken with have him graded anywhere from late fourth to a seventh round grade. So as you can see, there's a variety of opinions on Fisher. With Gallagher, I grade him as a priority free agent. Most scouts think he's much lower than that. I just think he is a tremendous or a terrific, I should say, run and chase linebacker. A guy who's really not that big, but sells out and covers a lot of area uh, on the field in a small amount of time. You know, Rashawn Slater, who you mentioned at the top when, you, when we're sp speaking of Northwestern, he's someone who, <laughs> with scouts I've spoken to, grade him either as a mid-first round choice to a mid-second round selection. I like him. I grade him more as a third rounder. 
He's a very athletic, very mobile college left tackle who I think is going to be moved into guard. But he's one of those guys that if he goes through the 2020 season, shows up at the Senior Bowl next January, hopefully, uh, and then plays well at left tackle, he, he's a guy who I absolutely think can go top 42. He's got the footwork. He's got the mobility. He's got he's outstanding in pass protection and very good on the second level. Just got to improve his strength a little bit. One guy to keep an eye on, Ernest Brown, the defensive end. Outstanding measurables. 6'4 and a half, 280 pounds. Is going to time under five seconds. Plays athletic football. Struggled with injuries last year. I believe he only played seven games. But when he was on his game, he was tough to stop. I mean, he is a natural uh, uh, defensive end, a guy who can make plays up the field, someone who's got good growth potential. So Ernest Brown, he's got to stay healthy. He's got to take his game to another level. But if he does, I think Brown's a guy who can slide into the late part of uh, day three of the draft. Now for the big ticket item on this week's show, and that is the Ohio State Buckeyes. Ten players selected just in April alone. Three of them were first-rounders, including two of the top three picks in the draft with Chase Young and Jeffrey Akuda. It's the fifth straight draft with multiple Buckeyes in round one, and that should continue in 2021. We're going to take a look at the defense first, and it really seems like OSU puts a cornerback or two in the first round every year of late. Next April is going to be no different with junior cornerback Sean Wade. Played the slot a lot last season, obviously with Okuda and Damon Arnett playing outside. Should play the boundary more in 2020. And really giving Wade the sideline as an extra defender in a lot of ways is only going to make him better. Great size and physicality. He's fast, shows very nice ball skills, fights blockers to play the run as well. Really a complete corner who should easily go in round one, if not pretty highly. In that round, a pair of senior linebackers who could go day two for the Buckeyes, Pete Werner and Tuff Borland. Werner's a good athlete. Willingly takes on block, shoots gaps against the run, whereas Borland is a bit smaller, not quite as athletic as Werner either, but similarly tough on the inside. Tony, break down this trio and any other notable Buckeyes defenders in your mind. Well, you know, we could talk for the next half hour about the players uh, on the Buckeyes squad, both offense and defense. Defensively, I've got Wade graded as a first rounder. A lot of people are going to remember Wade. You know, last impressions are sometimes the ones that last the most. And, and Wade was known for that late hit in the semifinal game uh, at Clemson when he got ejected from the game and really turned that game almost on a dime in the favor in favor of Clemson because instead of punting the ball away, they got the first down and they scored on that the series. But when you break it down, he is a physical defensive back with outstanding size and terrific ball skills. Scouts who I speak to who grade underclassmen have given him a third round grade. I think with the size, with the speed, with the physicality and the ball skills that he's shown, I got grit weighed right now as a first rounder. Scouts disagree. That's okay. Pete Warner. Warner is a terrific three down linebacker. He plays smart, tough, disciplined football. He's outstanding in coverage. He finds the ball. He's very instinctive. He flows to the ball. He's explosive against the run. Average size is going to measure likely under six foot two, probably in the low two thirties, but a real good football player with excellent athleticism, a three down defender. Tough Borland is a guy that I have a differing opinion from with the scouts I've talked to who grade him as a day three prospect. He's going to, he's going to be, he's going to be like uh, Werner and that he's going to be a little, a little bit shy when it comes to the measurables. He's even smaller than Werner. He's probably going to go barely six foot tall, 230 pounds, but he is a stout, tough 
run defender who really likes to lay it on the line. Scouts I've spoken with love Baron Browning. Uh, I mean, he's a guy who a lot of scouts grade as a potential first rounder, even though he wasn't a starter last year. When I watched Browning, I had him graded as a third rounder off the 2018 film. Last year, he barely str- he struggled to see the field. He wasn't even a starter. He came in as a substitute and in certain packages. Now, he's got great size speed numbers, 6'2", 240 pounds. He's probably going to run in the low 4.6s, if not the high 4.5s. My questions on Browning are his instincts. Sometimes he's late reacting. Sometimes he, he struggles to find the ball. He's got a great amount of upside. He's got to get his game back to where it was in 2018 and build upon that. If he does, he could be an early pick. Another guy to keep an eye on, Tyreek Smith, the defensive end. I have him graded as a fourth rounder. I know I talk, spoke to some scouts who've already looked at the underclassmen. They think he's more third round talent. Six, two and a half, probably goes about 265. He's a pure edge rusher who's just got to get a little bit bigger and stronger. And now everything's going to fall on his shoulders because he's going to be the man at Ohio State who's relied upon to rush the passer. Now flipping over to the offensive side of the football, Ohio State put quarterback Dwayne Haskins into round one back in 2019. Should have another first-round signal caller two years later. Maybe even a guy, if you pay any attention to those super way-too-early mock drafts that come out around this time of year, that might end up replacing Haskins in Washington if the Redskins are picking near the top of the draft. And that is junior Justin Fields, really just a baller under center. Went from a player that Georgia didn't even want to let compete with Jake Fromm to now a potential top five NFL draft pick. And we saw what happened with Fromm in this past April's draft. And all that happened in just about 24 months. Fields has a big arm to fire throws all over the field. Maybe he's not the most pinpoint passer in the world, but he's highly efficient through just three interceptions last season, completed over 67% of his passes, added 10 scores on the ground too. He's a good athlete but he is a passer first. He only runs when things are collapsing around him in the pocket. He's a guy that does a nice job keeping his eyes downfield on the move, always looking to make big plays down the field rather than just take off with his legs. Just an overall excellent prospect who is up there with Trevor Lawrence at the quarterback position for next year's draft. And Fields is going to be throwing to junior receiver Chris Olave, who is his most productive receiver in 2019. Should be able to top 1,000 yards this season too with three senior receivers graduating from the Buckeyes, a speedy receiver who gets downfield nicely, but also has the overall skill set to be much more than just a deep threat. And lastly, junior guard Wyatt Davis, guy with really good movement skills and one who should be key to opening holes for Trey Sermon and Master T as the running game looks to replace J.K. Dobbins here for Ohio State. Yeah, you know, uh, Wyatt Davis is your prototypical zone blocking guard. He's just so incredible on his feet on the second level, blocking emotion, pulling across the line of scrimmage. The irony is Davis probably goes about 305 to 310 pounds, yet he doesn't show a lot of strength in his game. You know, at times he struggles finishing blocks at the line of scrimmage if he's not getting a, a, a head start, if he's not getting a running start into a block, which is kind of unusual, but he has that upside. I grade him right now as a second round pick. Scouts I've spoken with grade him as a second round pick. Scouts who grade underclassmen, I should say, uh, that I've spoken with think he's a second round pick. Uh, getting back to Justin Fields, I tend to like my quarterbacks to be six, two and a half or taller. Justin Fields is the guy, as far as I'm concerned, breaks that mold. You know, uh, Trevor Lawrence is far and away the top quarterback prospect for the 2021 NFL draft. But you know what? Justin Fields is not a bad uh, complimentary or, or, or second place prize, if you will, because he is just an outstanding quarterback. He's not an athlete. He's not a thrower. 
He's a great quarterback. And again, go back to that Clemson game. Remember, part of the reason that Ohio State uh, lost that game was because of dropped passes that Justin Fields placed into J.K. Dobbins' hands and a couple other guys that they couldn't hold on to the ball. I love his poise. I love his field vision. I love his game management, which just complements his physical skills. As I said at Pro Football Network, when I look at Justin Fields, he's a much better passer than Kyler Murray, and he's a much better physical package compared to Baker Mayfield. If you're looking at, say, smaller quarterbacks, the guy is, is the a complete package. The only reason people are not going to be talking about him as much moving towards three, uh, 2021 is because of a guy named Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Chris Ola- Olave, as you said, a, a terrific uh, vertical threat, a true downfield home run hitter. A lot's going to be placed on his shoulders this year with all those other receivers from Ohio State graduating into the NFL. I have him graded as a late first, early second round choice. Scouts I've spoken with who grade underclassmen talk about him as an early third round pick. Two more offensive linemen we got to, I got to talk about. Josh Myers, the center. A real mauler in the middle of the line. Someone who kind of is, is a uh, you know punch in the face, a slug it out type of guy. Not as good in motion as some of the other Ohio State offensive linemen that have come out recently. Fractional in motion compared to Wyatt Davis. I grade him as a fourth rounder, but I know of some scouts who grade Josh Myers as an early second round pick. Another guy who I like, although I think his game kind of took a step back in 2019, was Thayer Munford. Off the 2018 film, I had Munford graded as a late third or early fourth round pick. I have moved him into the fifth round. Scouts I've spoken with have Munford as early as the third round and as late as the ending part of round seven. So he draws a wide variety of opinion in the scouting community. Now, Tony talked about Justin Fields being a consolation prize for Trevor Lawrence. Well, in this episode, Penn State is kind of the consolation prize for Ohio State. The Nittany Lions had five players selected this past April after having six each of the prior two years. Six of those came in the top 100, including Saquon Barkley at number two in 2018. And in that same draft, Mike Giusecki went around later, tight end to the Miami Dolphins. And Penn State this year has another tight end who could go in round two, and that's junior Pat Fryermuth, the second leading receiver for the team the past two seasons. But now with leading receiver K.J. Hamler gone, Fryermuth should be Sean Clifford's go-to guy, solid size, good speed, really got to watch for another step forward from him in 2020, protecting Clifford's blindside and giving him time to throw to Fryermuth. His redshirt sophomore left tackle, Rasheed Walker, May not end up in the 2021 draft, but if he does have a big season, there is first-round potential here, and he could easily declare in that scenario size, length, movement skills, all are there to stick at left tackle long-term. But the top NFL prospect for the Nittany Lions, saving the best for last year, is linebacker Micah Parsons. And for a school that really was once known for producing top-flight linebackers, Penn State hasn't had a top 100 pick at the position since 2010. But Parsons is probably going to change that. But Parsons is definitely going to change that. True three-down upside as a player. He shoots gaps to make plays in the backfield. He's effective as a pass rusher. He shows excellent pursuit speed. The coverage ability and ball skills are there as well. Really the entire package, but Parsons also isn't without his share of concerns as well. Break those down for us, Tony, along with the rest of what Penn State has to offer. Parsons is a physical freak. Uh, There's no doubt about it. He's the kind of guy who looks the part, who plays to the part, I think he enters the 2021 draft 
And then he goes on to have a, a, one of those jaw-dropping uh, combine workouts. He covers a lot of area on the field. He gets great depth on pass drops. He's a very sudden player who can impact the game behind the line of scrimmage when they send him on the blitz. My concern about Parsons, and I've you know, scouts I've spoken with agree with this, is he's not the most instinctive guy. He's, he's somebody who shows some indecision in his game. He kind of arrives on the scene a little bit later, but he's able to make plays on the college level because of his sheer awesome and rare athleticism and speed. Uh, so that is something to watch with Parsons. Not only, you know, not so much the plays he's making, but is he making them before they occur in the sense that is he reading the action and getting to the spot because of his intelligence and his instincts rather than he's just able to do it on a because of his physical skills. If you mesh the two and scouts are uh, okay with the instincts and they don't think it's a problem, it's going to be a very early pick. I absolutely love Rasheed Walker. And this is someone no one told me about him. But when I watched the film, I saw an offensive tackle on the left side who went about six foot five, 315 pounds. He was very fluid. He had terrific footwork in, in pass protection. He was uh, really good blocking motion on the second level. Kind of reminds me of an upgrade from Donovan Smith, the, the offensive tackle for the uh, Tampa Bay Bucks, who was taken at the top of round two when he entered the draft. I think Walker's got that sort of potential, although he's bigger, and, he, and I think he's a better athlete. Friermuth, you know, as you talked about him, uh, terrific pass catcher, almost like a really oversized receiver who gets down the field, makes the difficult catch, not a bad blocker at all although they often line him up in the slot, even out on the flanks to take uh, advantage of his pass catching skills. He's got a great amount of upside. One last guy to keep an eye on that scouts really like the center, Michael Minette, uh, a mobile guy who is uh, a really tough slug it out type of uh, lineman. I have him graded as a fourth rounder. I've seen scouts grade him as early as the uh, third round. You know, I, I want to say if, if people have access to last year's Ohio state uh, Penn State game, they should go back and watch it because they saw we got to see a, a terrific matchup, which I'm sure we'll see again when it was Pat Fryermuth against uh, Ohio State linebacker Pete Werner. I mean, these guys battled it out in coverage all day. I, I you know, Fryermuth did not make many big plays against Werlin, and Werlin kept the action in front of him, but at the same time, Fryermuth also made a lot of receptions. It was a terrific battle. Another battle to keep an eye on in that game, if you're able to watch it. A lot of people like tackle William Fries, uh, who I liked as a sophomore, but I saw a lot of regression in his game, the Penn State right tackle. Last year, Chase Young just ate him alive. <laughs> I mean, it, it was sad to watch. That's why I have – that's one of the reasons, I should say, I have uh, William Fries, the offensive tackle, graded as a free agent right now. Now looking ahead at the Purdue Boilermakers, 12 draft picks the past decade, and next April will mark 10 years since the Boilermakers' last first-round pick, which was Ryan Kerrigan back in 2011. It could also mark the end of that drought if redshirt sophomore wide receiver Rondale Moore is able to stay healthy this season. Only played in four games last year, but in that limited time, 29 catches for 387 yards and two touchdowns. If we take it back to 2018, when he was a true freshman, he came in and lit college football on fire, 114 receptions, 1,258 yards, and 12 touchdowns. Now, Moore is a bit small to be a true alpha receiver, but his on-field impact is absolutely felt at an alpha-like level. He can score from anywhere on the field, and not only is he fast, explosive, and electric, he's also a good natural receiver as well. 
which is only going to help his case to be a top 32 pick despite that lack of size. Only one other draftable prospect for the Boilermakers, UConn transfer safety Tyler Coyle, led the Huskies in tackles the past two seasons. Not a big playmaker in coverage, but does have decent size, has shown a proclivity for being around the ball and run support, and could end up as a guy being a solid middle-round pick. Yeah, you know, going back to Rondell Moore, you talked about him his freshman season. A lot of people may remember that Saturday night game against Ohio State when Purdue pulled the upset, and it was a Rondell Moore showcase. I, I mean, he was unbelievable. You know, upon everything else that you say about Rondell Moore, and like as you mentioned, he only played four games last year, the thing that really stands out to me is his immediate burst, his sudden explosion. He's a guy who's probably going to run in the low four threes, if not the high four twos, uh, when he tests and when he enters the draft and tests at the combine or wherever it is. But I can't wait to see this guy's ten time because when you watch Rondell Moore, what what makes him stand out and what makes him so special and, and so uh, so tough to cover is when he catches that ball, that first three to five yards, he is off to the races. It's like nothing I've ever seen before. And as you said. He's a real good pass catcher. He's not just a fast guy, you know, who was able to physically outrun uh, defenders. He is a real good football player. Mentioned last year, you know, you talk about, let's say, the Alabama receivers last year. And I wrote a piece how my concern about Jerry Judy was uh, Jerry Judy was a bit soft. He was a guy who did not work good in crowds. He was someone who finished plays by running out of bounds. Not Rondell Moore. Rondell Moore will, will take it to uh, bigger defensive backs and fight and cut, compete to come away with the reception, and he usually does. We talked about Henry Ruggs. I said I thought that Henry Ruggs, while he was a decent receiver, is more opportunistic uh, be, because of the fact that Alabama had so many good receivers and he was so fast. Rondell Moore creates his own opportunities. He is a legitimate deep threat, a legitimate home run hitter, someone who will produce at the next level at receiver, running reverses as a return specialist. I just hope he's able to stay healthy all season. I think last year it wasn't a significant injury in the sense it wasn't a joint injury. It was a hamstring that kept him on the sidelines because he's just exciting and electrifying to run. And he's one of these smaller guys, smaller receivers, who I think really projects well to the next level. Tyler Coyle, as you mentioned, top uh, run defender or downhill safety who comes from UConn. Uh, I grade him right now as a fifth-round pick. Also keep an eye on Lorenzo Neal, the defensive tackle, someone who entered last year with late-round grades, sat on the sidelines all year, made the smart move to come back for another year at Purdue. Neal is someone who I've watched since his uh, sophomore season. When the motor is running and and he's playing hard, he's tough to stop. He's a quick mobile uh, defensive tackle who goes six foot one, 320 pounds. The problem with Neil is the motor's not always running. So if he continues that inconsistent play in 2020, he's not going to get drafted in 2021, but he's, if he's able to really elevate his game, he can absolutely move into the last day of the uh, draft. Now Rutgers has had a few more picks than Purdue since 2011 in the NFL draft with 15. Seven of those though came in 2013 and Rutgers hasn't had a selection in two of the past four drafts, including this past April. And frankly, that's probably going to be the case next year as well. Senior linebackers Olukunle Fatukasi and Tyshawn Fogg are two of the Scarlet Knights' top prospects, even if they don't even currently grade as priority free agents on Tony's border, boards of scouts around the league. Fogg did lead Rutgers with 104 tackles last year, a little bit bigger than Fatukasi, not quite as fast, and Fatukasi does grade out higher as a result. 
One guy to watch in addition to those linebackers on defense is Ohio State transfer Brendan White. Strong safety size. Never really got a true shot just due to the depth of talent on the Buckeyes roster that we kind of discussed a little bit earlier. But he's definitely flashed in moments when he's gotten on the field, whether it's sub-package work or, or blowouts, and really could be somebody that uses the 2020 season as a springboard into next April. Brendan White showed me a lot of ability in 2018, but as you said, just couldn't find, couldn't see the field last year at Ohio State, so he transfers to Rutgers. We'll see you know, if that's a smart move. The program should hopefully head in the, in the better direction with the return of Greg Schiano. I can't see the program being any worse. I, I mean, we spoke about UConn at length when we did the AAC. The Rutgers film is almost equally as painful to watch. It's like, uh, you know, when is this going to end? Because it's, at times it's just such bad football. Fado Kasi is a real good athlete. He's a good run and chase linebacker. His instincts are terrible. I mean, he's very late reacting. The play's going left and he's going right. He makes plays on his, based on his athleticism, which really does not bode well for the next level. Tyson Fogg is a terrific football player. He's stout. He's strong at the point. The problem is he's six foot tall, 230 pounds, and he runs and plays in the four eights. He's not a guy that's going to make a lot of plays out to the flank, so he's got his limitations. I think it's going to be a number of years before we see Rutgers really start to consistently put players back into the draft, if Shiano's able to get the recruiting right there or, or get the ship right as far as the recruiting is concerned, especially what he did the, during his first stint as head coach at uh, Rutgers, it'll be fun to watch. But, you know, it's been painful the past couple of years at Rutgers. The last program we'll discuss on this show, not really a painful program, certainly nothing like the, the Rutgers program has been, and that's the Wisconsin Badgers. 16 selections over the past four drafts for each in the past two seasons. It's just a team that pretty consistently puts three to five players into the draft on an annual basis. And really for a team that everyone thinks only produces offensive linemen, just four of those 16 picks over the past four years have actually been offensive linemen. But for 2021, four of the five draftable prospects on Wisconsin's board are offensive linemen in the end. Three of them are underclassmen with one senior and all of them come with late round grades. So it's possible none declare early. The two most likely to leave school before they graduate would probably be guard Caden Lyles and tackle Logan Bruss. Lyles is a guy, a dominant run blocker inside, listed at center for the 2020 campaign to replace Tyler Biedish. Bruss, on the other hand, a bit less of a small area guy than Lyles, but he's also listed at a different position than he was in 2019, probably moving from right tackle inside to right guard. There is one Badger that does have day two potential for the 2021 draft, however, and it's the only non-offensive lineman with a draftable grade on their board, and that's junior tight end Jake Ferguson. Burst onto the scene as a redshirt freshman in 2018 with 36 catches for 456 yards and four touchdowns. Took a slight step back last season with Quintez Cephas returning to the field and, and leading the team. But with Cephas a member of the Detroit Lions now, it's a definite chance for Ferguson to lead Wisconsin in receiving. He's got good height, good athletic ability, more of a receiver than a blocker, but if you're a tight end who can catch the ball, time and time again has been proven that you will be sought after by NFL teams. Yeah, and that's exactly what Ferguson showed off the 2018 film. I mean, he was a downfield threat. He was making the ordinary reception. He's kind of up and down last season because of the different options that uh, Wisconsin had uh, uh, in their offense, whether it be Cephas at receiver, whether it be Jonathan Taylor. I grade him right now as a third-round choice. Some scouts I know grade him as an early fourth-round selection. He's a good tight end. He's, he's a decent athlete. He's a guy that's got some high upside. He's a taller tight end 
uh, or a taller, I should say, possession type receiver playing tight end. Doesn't do a bad job blocking. He's not a liability as a blocker, although he stands to improve his uh, blocking strength. Going to be interesting to see when he enters the draft, how fast he is. Throwing the ball to him is going to be Jack Cohn, someone who gets a variety of opinions in the scouting community. Some scouts grade him as a late seventh round pick. I have him as a free agent. I think he's a good college quarterback. I just don't think he projects all that well to the next level. He's tough. He's got decent vision, but his passes can be all over the place. He's got terrible pass placement. I don't know that he improves in that area. I think Cohn is a guy who could potentially be a good number three quarterback at the next level. And that's it for the 143rd episode of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter, and we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll be back next week to look at some of the ACC's 2021 draft prospects. But until then, for Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi. Good night.